0: Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. <laughs> um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I, hate, I already hate it. I hate it.
1: All right, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Tennessee Ball Sports Guys here on a Sunday night, uh, January 7th, uh, where I am still the aforementioned Chase. I'm just coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee, Everything School HQ over there somewhere in Knoxville, Tennessee himself. Rocky Top Insiders, Ryan Schumper is here. Ryan, good evening, sir. How are you?
2: I'm doing well. Glad to be back. I feel like it's been A long time since we recorded one of these, at least a long time since I've been on one of them. So excited to get back and uh, riding the high of my Titans ending just a fun season, fun season with a big win over Jags today.
1: Hey, Mike Brabel going out uh, his Tennessee Titans tenure with a bang.
2: That's what I said, that I told people yesterday in the basketball game. It's the final game of the Ryan Tannehill, Derrick Henry, Mike Brabel era. Um, So. And we didn't even ruin our draft spot. We were number seven coming into the day. Probably going to be number seven. Even a chance that we can move up to number six, barring mm-hmm. some crazy, crazy stuff. So good to, to end the NFL season for the Titans on a uh, on a good note.
1: There you go. Happy for you. Happy for you, Ryan Schempert. Um But no, it was weird. I, I'm now, this week has been close to being back to normal. I, I love the holidays. I love Christmas time. Big lights guy. Ryan, you you know this. Love a good lights situation yeah. here. We have lights all over my house. I got it going behind me like we're good. But the one thing that drives me nuts, and I don't know if you're you you're wired this way, but sir, I just get so flustered with my my routine being thrown off where I'm like, well, we can't do the Sunday night pods because we have this going on and I can't do this night and I like Christmas falls on this day. New Year's falls on this day. And I'm like, my schedule is completely thrown for a loop so that's the reason we haven't done a vols pod in the last three weeks is just the holidays the holidays just completely destroy my routine and i get so stressed not having my just go-to organization structure that gets me through each and every day
2: yeah i don't have quite the same thing which i mean i think makes sense yours all the interviews you do you have to be extremely organized and Mm -hmm. obviously the way the calendar fell this year but similar in the in the sense of just like not being down in Orlando for all the bowl prep stuff I covered game remotely and, and Rick and Jack were down there covering it for us of just like waking up and it would just be like, okay, wow. So is talking right now or mm-hmm. so-and-so is happening and like not having any idea where in a normal flow of really the whole year, it changes throughout sports seasons of like knowing just what I'm going to write about on certain days of the week. And obviously stuff comes up and you, you know, get creative and find stuff. Of just like waking up the whole week between Christmas and New Year's, just being like I don't I don't really know what's going to go on today, what I'm going to write about, and just having it all you know hit me an hour or whatever after after I wake up and saying okay this is how this how the day's going to go.
1: Absolutely. Well, we're back in good form. 2024. I was telling uh, the Thomas family group chat. I was like, this might be the only time in every Tennessee sports fans' lives. Where one calendar year in 2024 specifically, all three of the Big Three have playoff and/or title realistic title aspirations at the University of Tennessee. Rarely do you have all three at this similar stage. Where, and I don't know if you agree with me, but Tennessee now top five team in Kim Palm. They absolutely destroy Ole Miss Saturday night in TBA. Then you have Tony Vitello's bunch. We'll see what they look like, but they're going to be preseason top five um, in college baseball once again. They're going to be better than they were a year ago, where they won the College World Series. They have title aspirations, and it's realistic that they can win it all this spring. And then you have the vaults who will be in the blue chip ratio based on their current roster going into this fall. Nico into fold like top six Heisman odds. So that's a great, great time to be a Vol fan in general because that playoffs are real. And then we, we've seen this Washington run that anything's possible when you have an elite offense, um, an elite quarterback play that, hey, you can make a run and uh, you're really hard to beat when you have all those things clicking. But I don't know. I think this is a rarity and I don't think you're going to see all three of the big three uh, in Knoxville with tight, realistic title aspirations at the, at the same calendar time.
2: Yeah, I would sell Tennessee football having realistic title aspirations next fall. But uh, you could sell it.
1: You could sell the playoff, in the 12-team playoff, with Nico being... If Nico's yeah, a Heisman-type guy, it. they're in the playoff.
2: We're, I, I don't really see Nico being a Heisman-type guy, I guess, to start it. In his first year as a starter. Um, and I don't know, we don't need to get into a big college football playoff debate, but it's like <laughs>
1: The Sounds the like madity. you hate Nico Yamaliava before he's even taken a full season under his belt, Ryan Tempered. I don't I don't know what's going on here, but uh, a lot of cold water right out of the gate after a 35 nothing win.
2: stupidity of the expanded playoff, yeah, it's Tennessee has realistic playoff aspirations. Making the playoff doesn't mean you can win the national championship, which is why it's so stupid to expanded the playoff to begin with. But that's beside the point. I don't need to be bitter about it. It's going to be the reality. So, sure, yeah, to, to that end, like, yeah, Tennessee... Football is playoff. Uh, they have playoff aspirations that are realistic. Tennessee baseball is certainly the goal is going to be to get back to Omaha. And I think you obviously will see what the season looks like, but you're kind of to the stage of you think the talent, you've been there a couple of times. It's like, all right, get there and now go do something. And then certainly, yeah, this is the Tennessee basketball team that has final four aspirations. And, you know, I think is, you know, as good or, you know, as close to any close to as good as any team Rick Barnes has had in Knoxville and really close to as good as any team Tennessee's had. So, Uh, Yeah, obviously you enter this year with the year of 2024 with uh, high expectations for for all three sports teams. And, you know, I would say we'll see football a little bit more down the road, but especially the two that are in the inner or in the immediate uh, windshield with the uh, basketball and baseball seasons. Well,
1: speaking of basketball, and I would agree that Tennessee has the least strong chance of winning. I've said for the last year that 2025 is the circled year of year two and Nico um bolster group a lot of these freshmen uh, talented freshmen being a year older especially the wide receivers um and how much I like them just year two I think will be a lot bigger there and then some of the online men and group that's coming in I think the 2025 class depending on how George McIntyre um stuff unfolds this spring and a lot of those big names Sanders the five-star tackle there there's just a lot of optimism about what 25 um can be for Tennessee and why that's probably the most realistic title year uh, in the immediate hype era. But I think the playoff is definitely a possibility and should be the goal uh, for Tennessee in 2024, especially with their schedule. Um, it looks like they're going to be favored in probably nine or ten games once again uh, this year. And I think that puts you right in the ballpark of making the playoff, Ryan Shemper But I first ask you, because it is basketball season, we have all offseason talk all things Tennessee football, basketball, though. 24 hours removed from Tennessee thrashing uh, the Ole Miss Rebels in the second half. Um, the biggest takeaway you're still thinking about from Vols Ole Miss on Saturday night in TBA is what, Ryan Shepherd?
2: Ken Palm was on the money, man, with this Ole Miss team. I mean, they, Tennessee obviously played really, really good, but you know this isn't an Ole Miss team. It's the 22nd best team in the country by any means, and mm. Tennessee will play lot harder games in sec playing to play a lot better teams you know and you just look at the percentage of it but i think when you talk about the game itself uh it's to me the continued development is the kai ziegler who i think we all left maui you know as bad as he played in those three games being like what you know maybe not selling not thinking that he couldn't get back to what he was last year but just being like all right this is a serious question at this point and almost from the jump in that North Carolina game, he started playing better and it just felt like it's been a slow climb of him being better and better to last now nine games. And he was fantastic. I thought he was the best player on the court against Ole Miss. He dominated a game where he missed his first four threes. And so much of what his scoring output feels like, all right, if he hits shots early, he's going to have a good game. If he doesn't, he's not. And when he didn't hit shots early, he stayed confident. He goes on to score 17 points. And, Really, he and Jonas Adu, who I'd say was, you know, who he would compete with to be the best player uh, on the court last night, teamed up in that pick and roll, and they just really dominated uh, an Ole Miss defense that, not that it's elite or anything, but is certainly solid. And, uh, you know, I had questions about Ole Miss coming in, but more about Ole Miss's offense than I did defense. So those two guys who, you know, big pieces for Tennessee just because of, you look at the spots on Tennessee's roster, they don't have a ton of depth. It's a point guard, and it's in the interior, um, and two dudes that Ziegler can really raise the ceiling by being good offensively and the way he gets other people involved when he's good offensively, and Adu certainly raises the ceiling when he's on offensively just from giving the Tennessee an interior presence that you know it really hasn't consistently had since Grant Williams
1: adu i did not have as like this kind of job i thought Adu would be better i did not have jonas adu making this kind of leap and dominating uh in the way that he did what um what is what has been the most impressive part of adu's development from what you saw the first two years versus this year where do you think he's grown the most
2: i think it's just like confidence on the offensive side of like I don't you look at what he does offensively, and there's not one thing where I'm like, wow, that's so much better. We just we just never saw him show flashes of that. Man, where mm-hmm. did that come from this offseason? That was clearly a, a massive emphasis. He just feels really sure of what he's doing on the offensive end. And look, like sometimes that leads to him taking mid-range jump shots early in the shot clock that will drive you insane. But I think you live with that just because it's the confidence that he's playing with and he's capable of hitting those shots. He's capable of coming out to the three point line and hitting those shots and I think he's been more consistent finishing around the rim. I think when you talk about why he's able to score a lot more, it's probably that. But it's not like he's a guy that Tennessee throws the ball into his back to the basket. He scores a bunch. He just in the pick and roll, off drives, is confident, plays with conviction, knows what he's doing. Um, and that's something that he really didn't show a lot in the first two years. It seemed like he was frequently doubting what he was supposed to be doing, doubting maybe not necessarily doubting himself, but doubting what his role was in the offense and what was a good shot and what wasn't a good shot for him and when he should pass it out when they throw it inside to him. He, everything he does is just just way more comfortable. Um, And again, I think just way more sure of himself.
1: And we talked all offseason was like, the thing I wouldn't see was him shooting more threes, but he's dominating without even really doing that. Like that's not really added to his yeah. game and he's actually dominating in a way that I didn't think was in him.
2: Yeah, no, 100%. And I feel like, the full on emergence of Tennessee playing four guards and mm. how well Josiah Jordan James has shot the three pointer on that trailer top of the key three. has kind of taken that away. Like that was the spot you would have probably pointed to a shooting a lot of threes. I feel like the ones that you're just, that he's taken and made have been corner threes. Like that's mainly where he's getting them, but he's been so good playing on, you know, from the short corner and getting little dump downs and being able to take one dribble and score with some confidence that again, it's, It's not like he's, you know, I question his ability to be an elite scorer because he's not a guy that you're going to throw the ball into with his back to the basket. He's going to be productive, but he's been able to catch the ball with his face to the basket, tight spaces, and still score, which is probably, I guess, when you're trying to pinpoint where his offensive game has grown the most from, you know, just one thing he does a lot better. I think it would probably be that.
1: Yeah, I think... It's just it's been huge. Like Adu making the leap has been huge. Josiah Jordan James being the team MVP uh to this point in the year has been huge. Zakai, the early stuff was just an aberration, it seems like. Like he's he's locked in. Zakai's playing just awesome, awesome basketball. The two spots that they're not playing awesome and look, I'm not gonna do a victory lap here, but Ryan Shemper, you know how I feel on this very program about a certain Tennessee volunteer basketball player who I love. Quite dearly, Jemai Meshack two threes in the first half, the three at the buzzer to get this team going into the second half.
2: That's not where I thought that was going.
1: <laughs> Jemai Meshack is just an absolute delight. I love Jemai Meshack so much. Yeah, and we're inching closer, Ryan Shemper, to the point of no return here because guess he was playing down the stretch here, uh, in clutch time, and he was the better player. And I, I just, I wondered the last couple weeks. How does the best five work? How, who does Barnes end up trusting the most in crunch time? Who's going to be his five? We're inching closer and closer to Dalton connect, not being in that five. We're inching closer and closer to that five being Zakai, Santi, Jamai, Josiah, Jordan, James, and Jonas. I do the rise and fall of the Dalton connect stuff is just happening very, very rapidly. And I just, I don't know. We're, I don't know if you're as concerned as I am, but, um, Jemai Mayshak's better than Dalton Connect in SEC play. And I think Barnes is going to end up trusting Jemai a lot more as SEC play keeps going. And look, I I just, I love it because is great. Now, does that mean the ceiling's lower if Dalton Connect is just not what we saw in the UNC game going forward? Like even close to what we saw in the UNC game. Yeah. I think it's going to be harder to win. The
2: Wisconsin deep. game would be the game to point to.
1: Or Wisconsin too. Um,
2: yeah. Because never he's never going to get what. Game. like that yeah that was never a reality
1: no but i'm saying that's the peak like that was the highest of highs like that's yeah. the best yeah. case scenario no one else in on that team right now can do it don't connect it in the north carolina game no one has that kind of offensive upside i just don't know like i i just i'm very concerned about where that's headed and if like they're gonna be able to. it's just gonna be hard it's gonna be hard to navigate this and i think this is what happens when you have a super deep team is you have good options it's a good problem to have if you're rick Barnes. I don't know. Are you sounding the panic alarm uh for Dalton Connect, or do you think it really doesn't matter because Jamai's playing this good?
2: No, I definitely think it matters. I don't I'm sounding it in the way that you are, but I know I do think it's fair. Like, he's been a less consistent scorer, for sure. I think it's you know, you said it kind of in a definitive way of like this is your best five. Zakai, like Vescovy, Jamai, Josiah, Jonas. I think Zakai and Josiah are going to be your best five every single night. I think mm. most nights it's going to be Jonas at the five. I think we've seen games where it's been Tobe, though, too. So I'm not, you know, you don't think it's necessarily always be that. And I think you're going to see a rotation at those two and three spot of Santi, Jamai, and, and Dalton. I think all three mm. of those guys could be it on any given night. And matchups are going to call for it a lot because just the way Jamai can absolutely change the game with his defense if you're playing a team with an elite wing or perimeter scorer um but at the same time you know dalton i i'm not sounding the alarms of him just being like disappearing or being you know terrible by any means i'm sounding the alarms of tennessee you felt like they had a guy that was going to give him 15 points every single night and that wasn't like the first four or five games that was the first nine ten games of the season you felt that way i'm sounding the alarms maybe on that that maybe Dalton connect's not that guy um though I do think yesterday was like a lot better than what we saw against North Carolina state and Tarleton state, even though he wasn't great. Um, But I, you know, I guess kind of roundabout to answering everything you said, but I do think that lowers Tennessee's ceiling and finding that from him would be huge, but no, I think it's certainly a possibility that Tennessee's not going to get that from him every night. And it's not going to be a sure, to your point, it's not going to be a sure thing to Dalton connection in your best five, your closing five every single night.
1: Yeah. And we'll see, but like, that's a good problem about depth because maybe Jamai hits a wall and then Dalton, maybe it's just flashy or maybe it's just, it's just not something you can count on every, every night, but Dalton still has it in him where like some nights he may bail you out against Kentucky or something. Like he has a 30 point yeah. just flash against what he Kentucky. Did against it's, Illinois. Like yeah.
2: Tennessee doesn't win that game. If Dalton can, it, could, it, it was Tennessee was so Tennessee last year for 10 minutes maybe even 15 minutes in that Illinois game. And then Dalton connect showed the flash that he can, the way he can score at a really high level, it pulled Tennessee back ahead. And then that just relaxed everybody else on the court and everybody started getting more comfortable and making the shots that are good shots for you know each player.
1: Well, maybe the answer is here. We both love Santi on this program. He's on track to have his worst career or worst season as a ball right now. His shooting's down all across the board. He had a big shot, though, at the end. He felt like you could see his reaction. I don't know if you noticed it, Ryan, but his three near the end of the game last night, you could see it was like kind of like a sigh of relief for him where he's just you can tell it's wearing on him like these kind of early season struggles. And I understand the offseason stuff and dealing with um, having to go back overseas and tragedy in the family. And you just it's it just been a weird last couple of months for Santi. It was always kind of up in the air if he was coming back to be like we, we weren't sure if Santi was going to come back to begin with, but he was someone that you thought worst case scenario you locked in you're like you're not worried about Santiago Escobie at this point in the Rick Barnes system, but I don't know maybe that's where it is is Jemai gets the number is gets it when Santi's just not shooting right and Barnes just has to move around a little bit and it's like, all right, Jemai going to play the two and Dalton's going to play the three and we're going to rely on Dalton's offense more than Santi. So maybe it's like whoever has it that night between Santi and Dalton is where um, Barnes sacrifices a little bit defensively. So I, I don't know. I think that's also in plays. Maybe Santi isn't closing as much as he has in years past. And I mean, are you concerned that maybe this, I mean, we're now in January um, and Santi has not turned the corner yet.
2: Yeah. I mean, I don't think, I would necessarily even say that. He hasn't had like the splashy game, but I think he's been pretty solid. I mean, shooting what, 33% from three? At least important games. Yeah, 34%, but at the same time, I mean, the last meaningful games, he shot six to 17 from three, which I, I don't know, I guess that's 36. I don't know, I'm not a math guy. He's been more consistent, I think, in being a solid player. You haven't seen him just disappear. And that's the thing, Santiago, what I, I don't think maybe some people in Tennessee's fan base don't understand it's like Santiago Vesco does a lot of good things on the court, even when he's not scoring. And I think that's invaluable. He's a good defender. He's a really good passer. He knows Tennessee's offense. He spaces the floor, which sets up driving ra- lanes and makes the pick and roll so effective. Like it was last night when you have him and Josiah Jordan James, two dudes that are, you know, teams have to fear and if connects in the game him too. So, to your point of maybe he's in there in closing time less than he's been. Yeah. Cause he's been in closing time every single game the last two years. So yeah. in that sense, yes, I think it's a possibility, but you know, I, I don't, I'm not overly panicked. I don't think you're necessarily going to see a bunch of 16, 18 point games like we've seen, we saw from him last year, but that's because his usage is just going to be a lot lower. Cause they don't need him to do that as much. I think he's going to be a guy that, You know, we're one game in SEC play. What did he shoot from three last night? Three of eight, 40%. I'm guessing he'll end up shooting 38% in SEC play. They need it. Yeah, maybe that's me not being being, putting too much confidence in him. I think he's going to be good. He's going to be solid. He's not going to put up the same numbers because they're not going to ask him to. But, you know, I'm not overly worried about him. And just because he necessarily hasn't had that big breakout game, I don't think that necessarily means he isn't playing better than he was earlier in the season.
1: Well, um, last thing on Tennessee basketball before we get into some football portal stuff, Mississippi State uh, this week midweek game uh, a little bit different than baseball midweek games. Ryan Chempert for you. It's not uh, you, <laughs> yeah a little bit yeah you don't get Belmont uh, in the middle of the week yeah, this week even though Tennessee really should play Belmont basketball. Big win basketball. for
2: Belmont basketball today. Yeah, that'd be that'd be a great game. Big win for them over Drake today.
1: All right, that's the that's the Belmont basketball hour here on this very program. Ryan Chempert. Um, Mississippi State, though, very different. I think Mississippi State's a better team than Ole Miss, not as flashy, obviously not yeah. the same kind of publicity that Chris Beard and the Rebels got coming into Knoxville. But I think this is going to be a much more low-scoring, gross basketball game where I think Tennessee will be much more of a dogfight, uh, pardon the pun here, with the Mississippi State Bulldogs. But do you agree that Mississippi State-Tennessee will be, uh, be a slot fest, but something that uh, Tennessee should be able to get another dub here?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be a, a hard-earned game and a hard-earned win. Tennessee should win, but I think Mississippi State's better than Ole Miss. I think they're going to play a very muck-it-up brand. I mean, they're a very similar team than they were to, to what they were the last two years. I think they've gradually gotten better each of the last two years, and they're a better team. But it's, it's not going to be easy by any means. And I think this kind of goes back to the importance of Dalton for me, too, is that last night was great from Tennessee. Awesome mm. performance looked like a final four team amazing we've seen tennessee do that the last two years we saw tennessee do put performances like that earlier this year my question for this tennessee team is can they go out there night in and night out and be good and not have these massive duds like they had at florida last year or, you know really a number of times where it's just like pull your hair out like this team's terrible and obviously they're not terrible but it's like man yeah. how, this is awful
1: my genetics took care of that. and My genetics took care of that. That was the bit. You said, to pull your hair out. I, I, did, like, I didn't Mike. hear
2: what, yeah, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't hear what you said. That's pretty good. But to me, what felt like was your, I don't know, what pushes you past that point, I guess, is that you had a guy that mm-hmm. could go out and every single night was going to score you 15 plus points in Dalton Connect. That's where I think Dalton Connect maybe not being the guy that Tennessee thought he was going to be is most important. Because when Tennessee's offense and when Tennessee plays its best, they don't need to connect to score 25 points or to score 20 points because when they're at its best, shots are falling. They got a bunch of different dudes who can beat you. It's the graphic that they posted earlier in the year. Of all five starters have scored over over 20 points this game, and that's awesome. That's how you can make a long run in March, but when you don't have a guy that can go out there and score you, you know, hey, I'm getting 15 points or I'm getting 13 points from this guy every single night. That's the floor. That's how you also lose early in March, mm. and that's how you lay duds, and there's a lot of dudes on this Tennessee team that we know – can do that now maybe someone one of the upperclassmen proves that they're past that and they've taken that jump and you're not going to have that from them and or maybe Tennessee just has so many options that it's just so unlikely that there's truly going to be a night where no one steps up um but to me that's what I want to see from this Tennessee team I want to see consistency ability to score 70 plus not 70 is the baseline in SEC play every night I don't care who you're playing I don't care where you're
0: you have an airbnb your home might be worth more than you think find out how much at airbnb.com slash host
2: that's the baseline because if tennessee does that they're going to win more times than not and they're never going to get blown out so that's what i want to see from tennessee mississippi saints is a team that will 100 percent test that on the road they're really good defensively they're really physical it's going to be hard to score at the basket If, you know, you don't get a bunch of shots to to go from the perimeter, it could be hard to beat them. Um, So, yeah, I think it's going to be a challenge. It's going to be a tough game. A game Tennessee should win, yes, but, you know, by no means a a layover. Um, And a Mississippi State team that's going to be really in desperate need of a win this week. They lose their SEC opener against what's going to be a a vastly improved South Carolina team, and now they get Tennessee and Alabama at home this week. Mississippi State needs one of those games badly, um, and and certainly they're, they're capable of, you know, beating either team.
1: Absolutely. Well, um, the portal giveth, the portal taketh Ryan Shumpert, uh, Gerald Mincy, who theoretically could still return, I guess, um, to Tennessee. We'll see what happens here. Um, it's He's got a lot of leverage right now, at least with Tennessee, because um, as it stands right now here on January 7th, your starting right tackle in 2024 is Dane Davis, um, which year four uh, in the HypoL era is just not to go full wall quest message board genius here, but unacceptable that that is a spot that you currently find yourself in, uh, in year four at a premier program and an I program NIL collective program that, uh, is as dominant and as good as where Tennessee is. I just, I think it's really fascinating because I'm a little, a little anxious about it. I mean, we'll see what happens with her, the five-star offensive tackle transfer out of LSU. Um, you get left at the altar with the guard tackle swing guy um, from Kansas today. Um, he commits to Texas a and after uh, spending a lot of time in Tennessee uh, this weekend. I don't know. I, I'm a little, it, it's just, you're kind of walking on eggshells a little bit. I don't, it, for me, Ryan, I go back and forth on this, and I don't know if you share this. Look, the Iowa game was bad. The offensive line got Especially the tackles got their butts kicked, but I was top ten defensive line. Like that's a really good defensive line. Nico was showed that he's going to be able to navigate the pocket really well, even if things break down. It's not as much of an issue uh, as Joe being back there. Hendon just evaded a lot of stuff two years ago, turned something out of nothing, uh, nothing into something. And I don't, I don't really worry about it as much because Glenn Ellaby. Now we have some issues about the development of the guys that he's bringing on the recruiting trail. But by and large, I mean, Tennessee still ran the football extremely well against Iowa. They run the football extremely well every year. Hypel's been there. The offensive line, it's not like they're taking a bunch of sacks. And we're looking at Bama and their defensive line. They haven't given Tennessee all kinds of problems in the last three years when they're playing them. Like, there's a level of concern. But then I also just go back and I'm like when the games actually happen, JJ Crawford shut down Alabama at the left tackle spot. He's like looking at the Alabama defensive line and throwing up in their face and just being like, I'm not scared. And that's a former, that's a Juco transfer who just was not a well hype name. And I I don't know. I just, I'm very conflicted in how I view what's happening right now with the tackles and the offensive line and recruiting and the portal and everything else. And I don't know where, where are you at? Is that all fair? The way just me trying to process where Tennessee's out in this regard. 100%.
2: Yeah, I'd say I feel in a pretty similar boat, and none of it's a surprise. I mean, if anyone listens to this program regularly, this feels like this has been a conversation we can't go Mm. two to three weeks without discussing the last year and a half of, like, offensive line, the depth, the tackle spots, what they have coming in, this is a problem, this is a problem, and they do keep on making it work to a degree. Mm. But, yeah, to your point, like, when you're staring down Dane Davis being – you know, start of a, the started a football calendar when the team comes back on January 2nd, potentially right tackle number one, that is worrisome. Now, granted, if it came to that, if Tennessee really does strike out and doesn't get anybody, uh, you know, reliable potential tackle starter, surely the plan would be for, like, up or Upstart, like, four-speed this dude development for a year. But, yeah, I mean, it, it's a concern with what they have. I mean, the tackle stuff's just so much of a bigger deal than the guard stuff. That's why... Obviously, they would. They wanted the, the Reed Adams kid to win the Texas A&M. It would have been a good guy to get because you don't have depth and he has some versatility, which would have been important. But, it, you know, I don't think he was the plan to start at right tackle to replace Gerald Mincy anyway. Mm. So I don't think that's the end of the world. I think they can make it work in the interior spots. But even beside – even if you had Gerald Mincy, you're talking about your third offensive lineman being – your third tackle being Dane Davis and then, you know, who who who's for? Like, it's a concern, the lack of depth, and it's a – concerned that even it just feels like any potential solution in the short term and maybe even past the short term even in the 25 a little bit is like band-aid stuff mm-hmm. that's you're getting by. you're getting by with it and you can win nine games with it maybe you can win 10 games with it but can you win a national championship with it yeah i don't really think so so it is a concern it's not maybe a massive slam the panic button thing but uh, certainly somewhere Tennessee has to get better. And surely there's got to be just tons and tons of emphasis on developing Umarov and developing Pitt of Warren when he gets on campus because he just can't keep doing this forever, uh, band-aiding it and expecting to win at the highest level.
1: No, and, you know, it's... They're just it's just kind of wild that we're in year four and they're not, but we'll see. Like Alec Ablin kinda of getting some success here. He gets a big four star kid, his first yeah. offer. Um I don't know how to pronounce this kid's last name. Do you know?
2: No, I don't. I didn't write the story on it either, so I don't know a ton, ton about him.
1: Four star kid though. Good talent, like yeah. highly regarded tight end, Alec Ablin, because he was behind and that was like the Roger Saliapinga and stuff like that, where you're like, you're just getting in late and Part of recruiting is like you build these relationships years out. And now that he's been uh, the tight ends coach for a full calendar year, building these relationships and been on the road for a while he's going to start getting some of these wins so that's important because again the depth here they've been getting band-aids with mccallan castles and princeton fans and guys like that and princeton's a great player and they missed him a lot this past year but you're getting Holden stays we'll see how he does but that's another st- just band-aid situation even davis didn't play at all last year um didn't see him really at all in the bowl game so you're kind of counting on him to be just a plug and play and all right four star talented kid like you it's time to go like you gotta you gotta perform now uh, get ready, and then you know the offensive line. I just, what do you, what's your gut tell you? Do you think Mincy finds his way back, and that this is just one of those he pulls his name out if Tennessee doesn't get a another right tackle, or do you think he's gone, gone?
2: I mean, I wouldn't completely close the door. but My gut tells me, you know, it's it's not going to happen. I just, I don't really see it. I don't think it's all that logical. Tennessee's hand truly does get forced so badly that they got to cut the check for him to come back yeah. but for a kid that was such a, a headache off the field and a pretty mediocre player on it i have a hard time seeing it personally
1: i don't know like nothing would surprise me on this regard like it would not surprise me if he's back it would not surprise me if he's 100 percent god i just think in this era you just can't rule anything out and yeah. you're right yeah, I, I the dead period's coming up like this is it like you don't want to be sitting around waiting and if the offers aren't there, Mincy isn't able to do better than what Tennessee may have may or may not have offered him. Like, are you sure he's out? Like, are we sure that he just completely, maybe it's just, he really wants to play left tackle and John Campbell's back. So he can't, there's no path to him playing left tackle for Tennessee this year. But like, I just, I don't know. Why is that? To, it maybe if that's such a big deal, you're like, why? Because I mean, Darnell, Wright, right tackle full year and top 10 pick. It doesn't necessarily matter um, which side you're on um, and where he getting to that next level. But I don't know. Like you said, this is... I think, Glenn, I would be to calm a lot of Tennessee Vol fans' fears about where things are headed. One of these guys he's brought in has to develop. Whether that's Sham at the right tackle spot, whether it's Max Anderson, William Satterwhite, Bennett Warren, Bison Lang next year after Cooper's gone, like one of these guys has to show promise or there's something really, really wrong with how you're... The just the development of guys that you're picking out of the high school ranks, like there's clearly something wrong if a couple of those guys don't start popping because that's the whole like you just have to because the it's not sustainable to be in transfer portal hysteria on the offensive line every year.
2: No, hundred percent. No, you you definitely have to. And I think you know to me, Lance Hurd, it seems like a guy you should be going just all out to get. Like, yeah. Obviously, there is always a certain amount of money that's not worth it, but like mm. all the resources you have for a guy that can play multiple seasons and is clearly very talented, to mm. me that feels like a no-brainer. Uh, I mean, maybe you know, again, maybe all the all the offers and every what everybody's offering him and going after him is, is super, super high, and it, it truly isn't worth it. But that feels like one. It just makes too much sense for Tennessee when you talk about. Almost an assured started starting spot at right tackle, and the guys that Tennessee has missed out on when you go back to blame, Jordan Seaton and mm. t- the financial package Tennessee had for Jordan Seaton of like this just seems like it should make it work. And you know, I will go back. You mentioned the tight end spot. I think you can get by band-aiding there. You know, (laughs) obviously, you don't want to do that forever. I think you can get by band-aiding. It's it's just not a massive part of Hypo's offense to me. Now, obviously, if you have someone really talented, you can use it more, but I think you can kind of get by. Now, they've been really fortunate that they haven't had injuries there. That's where they've been fortunate because they have, that's the problem, is that they have zero depth. I think with the actual talent level or the play that you've gotten from the starters, I think that's fine. I think they can continue to get by with that.
1: We shall see. Uh, ryan Shempert. um final thing here we're gonna do this every week leading up to the college baseball season which will be here before you know it ryan Shempert. yeah player spotlight our weekly vol baseball player spotlight series first up drew beam sir refresh the good folks tennessee fans listening here on this sunday evening what uh uh, Drew Beam is all about, his development over the last two years, what makes him a great pitcher uh, for Tennessee, and uh, why he'll be the Friday night ace for Tennessee going into 2024.
2: Well, he's he'll be the Friday night number one ace because Chase Burns transferred to Wake Forest this offseason, and he's going to be the national preseason pitcher of the year. Mm. And I probably shouldn't have left that. That's too mean to Drew Beam because Drew Beam's a fantastic pitcher. I mean, mm. quarterback one uh, you know what they call him, former Blackman high school quarterback really really competitive kid a really effective pitcher and he's not going to necessarily blow, blow you away with the fastball or just the overall talent or just the wow factor but he's just really steady and he's really good and he came in with a year where Tennessee had Chase Burns who was a massive five star recruit and a day one starter and Chase Dolander, who was one of the most highly touted kids in the transfer portal, and obviously we've seen what he went on to do. And for the first mm, two months, two and a half months before True Beam's arm fell off essentially, True Beam was the most effective, put up the best numbers of any of them. He was just fantastic. And he goes out there, he's a Frank Anderson pitcher, and the fact that he throws strikes at a really high level, um, he can get deep into the games. Because of that, he gets a lot of early outs. He's obviously can strike a lot of people out. He has the ability to do that, but he's not a guy that relies on that the way that Dolander did. And and certainly Burns does to a degree too. And that would, we saw that, especially with Dolander last year, that got him in trouble a lot if he didn't have his breaking ball working because he just couldn't, people would just sit fastball um, and he couldn't close out at bats. And then you'd have a start that was, Dolander would be solid for most of them. And he gets five, you know, five innings into it, gives up three runs and it's not, doesn't blow you away. So I think the thing when you talk about where he's developed and where he has made himself into a projected first round pick in the 24 MLB draft is the changeup, which mm. uh, has become one of the best, if not the best in college baseball, it was absolutely dominant uh, down the stretch last season. And he's a guy that he probably gets overshadowed because of how much Chase Burns turned around the season coming in from out of the bullpen. But he was another guy that was a little more shaky the first time of the season. Again, never as bad as Burns. and wasn't quite as dominant as Burns towards the end of the season, but was fantastic. It, the closing stretch of SEC play, you go to the final SEC series of the year at South Carolina. Things just blew up on Tennessee in game two, which was game one of the doubleheader on Sunday. Drew Beam came in for a seven-inning game, was dominant for, I think, six and a third or something like that, and got Tennessee their first away series win of the year on the last day of the regular season. He went in, he dominated Charlotte in game three to Clemson Regional, and then on the biggest stage of the season. He was absolutely fantastic at Southern Miss and probably could have gone a little bit deeper. Tennessee didn't have Chase Burns uh, so fresh in the bullpen in that game. So he was a guy that I think was pitching at his very best in his Tennessee career to end last season. Um, And that largely came in part because of how much that changeup had developed and turned into probably his best pitch.
1: Is there anything you're looking for that will kind (laughs) of... That we're kind of calm because I mean, he's going to be probably first round, second round pick um, this summer yeah. in the MLB draft. Is there one thing that's still missing that you think he can add that will separate him and get Tennessee to being uh, to getting Tennessee where they need to go? And
2: that's a good question. And, you know, I'm not a pitching coach expert or, you know, any by any means like that, you know, I would say that the change become the primary off speed pitch, you know, if he could get his slider better be that be more effective as a out pitch you know i think that would take him to another level of being a true elite strikeout guy but you know he's able to throw it for strikes early in counts and it's kind of been a get me over pitch pretty effectively for him so i'd maybe point to that um but no i mean i think the question would just be you know how does he handle the pressure and the spotlight and the Getting circled, you know, everything's going to circle in The past two years, everybody circled Chase Dolan or Chase Burns. He's the guy now. And then you got Sunday. It's like, oh, my gosh, you still got Drew Beam. Now mm-hmm. he's the guy that every scouting report going into the week, everybody's going to be figuring out for every SC opponent, Drew Beam's the guy they're circling. Um, so that's the only thing you worry about. Can you handle all that? You know, I personally don't really worry about that for him. Uh, I think he'll be really solid. But uh, that's that's maybe what I would point to of just proving it as a true Friday night Friday night guy because obviously he hasn't had to do that. Uh, to this point in this career and then you know maybe getting developing that slider a little bit more
1: i'm excited i think beam's solid like he doesn't there's just yeah. not a it, burns is electric the stuff's electric but it was also like burns was out of the rotation for a reason last year like beam has never really put like he's just steady eddie and he's kind of like it, it's kind of exciting to think about him at the friday night spot And then I wonder too, Ryan, is there some part of you that wonders if Frank and Tony don't want to rock what's worked for Drew Beam over the last two years? And do you think they could take, do you think they could keep him on Sunday or do you think it's a guarantee that he pitches on Friday nights?
2: I think it's pretty much guaranteed that he at least starts the season pitching on Friday night. Maybe if he runs into some trouble, you move him around, but I just don't see it because there's no other, there's not even, I guess AJ Russell is the other obvious second starting pitcher for Tennessee, but talking about a dude that threw like 14 innings last yeah. year so to throw him into a Friday night spot would be a lot and then when you get past those two guys there's not even an obvious there's a, gonna be that's probably my biggest question about this team right now is who's gonna be the third starter in the rotation yeah. behind those two guys so who's the leader in the clubhouse I, I don't right really now see that.
1: it's January 7th Ryan who's the leader
2: I, I couldn't even tell you I mean I think Nate Sneed has the potential like has the highest ceiling of everybody else in that group but Certainly, if you send Nate Steiner to field, I'm taking the field, you know, without a shadow of a doubt. I think that's very much going to be something that they're going to tinker with early in the season, probably even into SEC a little bit, and would by no means be surprised if it ends up being kind of like a, an And that's okay because Andrew Lindsay came on. Starter.
1: He wasn't penciled in, and Andrew Lindsay basically forced yeah. his way into that rotation.
2: Yeah, 100%. And that's what I, I'm glad you brought Andrew Lindsay up because that's what other thing I am going to say about Drew Beam that I like about him a lot on Friday night is you mentioned the consistency and the steady Eddie. How many times last year to Tony Vitello when they made the move to Andrew Lindsay on Friday night and talk about it? Like, you just, going into Friday night, it's just so comforting knowing what you're going to get from the guy. And mm-hmm. again, Andrew Lindsay's another guy that wasn't just going to blow you away with his stuff and wasn't the most electric dude in the world, but he was just good. And you knew yeah. what you were going to get from him and you knew he was going to be solid. And Drew Beam, whose ceiling is higher than Andrew Lindsay's, is that, you know, the complete same thing that you just, you can know what you're, you're going to get from him. You know, he's a guy that you can count on uh, every, every single weekend out there
1: i i think it's gonna be fine i'm tennessee fans don't worry about who the third pitcher is yet i think there's a lot of talent and it's just gonna be like you said i don't think whoever the opening one two three friday saturday sunday night pitchers is gonna be where we're at come uh come ncaa tournament time like i'd be very surprised if it's the exact same as what they open with they're gonna have to figure it out
2: i completely agree and i think in some ways you know tennessee baseball fans are all kind of not all of them, but a lot of them are very new to college baseball and how that yeah. works, and they've kind of been spoiled in the sense the last few years, and obviously things did get tinkered around last year of just, like, knowing who your main horses were going to be. Yeah. That's very, very rare in college baseball. Mm. Like, even in the SEC, that's really good, and he's going to have, what, seven or eight teams in the top 25 preseason and six in the top 10, like they always do. You're going to have, like, maybe Arkansas and Vanderbilt, or like, all right, these are your three guys, and barring injury, they're going to start All 10 series throughout, you know, all 10 weekends in SEC play, that's not how it works for most teams, even good teams, even good pitching staffs. So, uh, again, to your point, that's not something I think people should panic about. And I completely agree that I'd be surprised of what we see starting rotation opening weekend when Tennessee heads to, I think it's Dallas somewhere in Texas, Dallas or Houston. I think it's Dallas for the Shriners Children's Hospital Classic. I don't think that's what you're going to see the first weekend of the NCAA tournament.
1: How excited are you for the first text? Uh, panic text for me uh, in the the neutral site <laughs> game.
2: Oh man, it's gonna be much like how I felt when Jack sent the message in our chat this afternoon that Trevor the Jacks would have gone tr- fourteen and three if Trevor Lawrence hadn't got injured. Mm. Where I can't tell if he was just ribbing at me or if he actually meant that seriously, and I just had to. I did a good job with Jack. I just didn't respond. I just gave him the, pl- the thumbs up. I couldn't get bogged down into it. Chase, you're a lead at it. I'm sure you'll get me bogged down into into whatever you're getting upset about. And uh, you'll have me worked up at how worked up you are at something that happened in game one of a 52-game season.
1: I can't wait to put Ryan Shempert back in a blender uh, for this college baseball season because it's just, it's long. It's a grind. And uh, oh, we watch all of them. And uh, look, it's part of the deal. It's part of what you signed up for, Ryan Shempert.
2: I don't think it did any, anyone any favors last year that in the midst of a bad opening weekend for Tennessee baseball, Tennessee basketball got run at Kentucky and mm. that increased the excitement and hope uh, for the baseball season or the need for the baseball season. And just kind of put everybody on edge. Um, and you, you know, you didn't listen to Tony Vitello who told everybody who would listen that Tennessee was not the number two team in the country last year. You didn't listen to him. Mm-hmm. So I I listened to him and I expected not the level of struggles Tennessee had early, certainly not, but I wasn't as surprised by uh, Tennessee's early season struggles last year as you were.
1: The one thing I'll say, though, too, and we'll wrap up here is like one thing I do worry about that's like a silly thing to worry about, but like the most Tennessee thing ever is the deepest run in the Vitello era is with the least talented team they've ever the least talented offense for sure is just the, how the oh, farthest yeah, they far they go that would be the most tennessee volunteer thing of all time is that's how this goes over the next over this like however long Vitello's is here whatever the seven year ten year, whatever it is like that's the farthest they go um with was last year that would drive me up the freaking wall ryan shumpert yeah no that it is pretty fun. I
2: mean, that's, that's baseball for you like yeah the that's the most baseball thing it. too it's just yeah it really is and it's like Tennessee getting to Omaha with that offense they had last year was hard to imagine. We're not going to be mean. I guess we're not going to be mean. I'm not doing it.
1: Yeah. I, we're moving forward. I'm turning the page. I'm not being mean. <laughs> new year, new me. Who dis?
2: I'm I can't. i mean, going to clip that and I'm going to have it on my phone and I'm going to play it in early April when, mm-hmm. Tennessee, <laughs> when Tennessee is struggling in some series and you... You are being very mean to some pitcher or who do you think it is? Who's the number one pick, Ryan?
1: Who's the number one pick that you th- that you would peg is gonna be my enemy number one for this Tennessee baseball team all year long? Who would you guess right now? Who's enemy oh, number one?
2: That's a really good question. I think it's Hunter Inslee. He's my Ooh. Pick. He I yeah. he's
1: clutch. I like Hunter Insley. He's fine. I'm okay with Hunter Insley.
2: But Hunter Inslee falls into the tier of player you frequently. I won't say bash, but I can't uh-huh. think of the right words. So take it a tear down for bash, which is solid player. Yeah. Not extremely talented, more talented players in the similar position that he plays. That's going to most likely start. single yeah. game.
1: I think right now, Blake Burke is my number one pick for this year.
2: That was the other person that came to mind. And it's more like feasible this year of it mm-hmm. being it because last year it was like Certainly, Blake Burke was maddening, and it was like, oh my gosh. Like, I think everybody thought Tony should have made the move quicker to him lower in the batting order, but it was like, no one was ever going to start over in the first place. You didn't really have an option. This year, you got Billy Amick. And, you know, if Zane didn't is, you know, does end up being on the team, like I think everybody hopes and expects, but, you know, obviously that's been a tenuous situation this offseason. You have, and even if you don't, you have Dalton Bargo. You got a lot of options of dudes that can play corner midfield uh, this year. You don't have to have Blake Burke where last year you did. So that's going to be, that was probably my, that was the first person that came to mind. I still think Inslee's more likely, uh, but yeah, that's another good potential one. And again, this year, it makes it fascinating just because Tennessee actually has options there.
1: Absolutely. Ryan Shepard, thank you as always, my friend. Go visit rockytopinsider.com today. If you've not already done so, lock it in, bookmark it, all kinds of great Tennessee volunteer coverage throughout the basketball, baseball, football season, each and every day. So uh, lock that in. Brian Shepherd, always a pleasure. I'll talk to you next week.
0: Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas podcast, hell yeah. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time.